So I think on the schedule, <coughs> it says at this time, I think, it says Dharma talk. I'm not sure. <laughs> and I just want to say um, a little bit about kind of what's going to be happening in the evenings at this time. So um, Dharma is a, is a word in uh, both, I think, contemporary but certainly ancient Indian languages. Um, in our context, it means the teachings uh, that have come down from, from the Buddha. Um, but it's a word with a lot of, of subtlety and a lot of meanings. Um, sometimes it's, it's translated as um, the way things are um, or the path. Uh, but I think the, the really kind of useful understanding of it would be, you know, just um, teachings that point towards um, awakening. Yeah, awakening from, from suffering and into well-being. But, um, yeah, we're, we're going to try and not use a lot of um, words in unknown languages, but saying that, I can also say that they'll probably creep in quite a lot. So um, when, when we use them, we'll, we'll translate them as best we can, but feel free to also inquire. And maybe just to say, since I've said that, that the beauty of, the, of Sanskrit and Pali is that they're incredibly rich languages. So often, just <coughs> like with this word Dharma, um, the, the meanings are much more um, diverse and subtle and rich than the English translations can, can be. So that's why we will sometimes use the, the original words in there. And what we're actually going to be doing at this time is, is that we'll be offering some reflections on the teachings and on the practices um, as a way of, um, to a great degree, kind of bringing a context, giving a context to the practice that, we, that we're doing. Yeah. So, you know, the, the practice isn't happening in a vacuum. Actually, nothing happens in a vacuum. <laughs> but certainly our practice isn't happening in a vacuum. And it, it, it comes um, from spiritual traditions that have been around for, you know, the Buddhist tradition 2,600 years. But, of course, the Buddhist tradition itself is a continuation of traditions that were here before. So it's, it's kind of, we can feel that. And it's not just what the Buddha said 2,600 years ago, but the way that has been understood and shared and practiced by people since then. You know, so it's a very alive teaching. And the invitation is for you to also really listen in that way. Yeah, so we're not, um, we're not here to kind of give you the truth. You know? <laughs> and this is it, and you need to either accept it or... Reject it. You know, that those are the two options. These teachings are really about experiencing for ourselves. Yeah? So you, you, you're really invited to listen, to be receptive, like we are in, in the meditation practice, and to see, well, how does this meet my experience? Yeah? How does this meet my experience? How do I understand this? How does this come into being in my life? How does this apply? So you're kind of chewing on it. <laughs> Yeah, and digesting it, and not just now in the listening, but this may be over, over some time. Um, so that's the real invitation, to, re- to, to be receptive, to listen, to be open, and then to check, you know, how does this, how does this work for me? How does this apply for me? <clears throat> and maybe I'll say before I continue that if my voice gets too quiet, please let me know. Yeah, or if I say something uh, that you don't understand, please let me know. Yeah, so that we can all be um, kind of flowing along together. It's, uh, it's very helpful. And as you may have noticed already, both Nathan and I, our voices tend to suddenly go dip. So alert us when that happens. So this morning, I think I, I kind of mentioned this um, the one, this one sentence that really struck me at that time, and it's, it's kind of been um, resonating in me since then um, through the day, that this is a training in awakening. And um, I want to begin the reflections this evening by, by just 
a little bit touching on that, what that means. Um, the, you know, I've said Buddha a few times already um, since I started this evening. And Buddha, the meaning of the word Buddha, it's not a, it's not a name. It's, it means um, someone who's awakened, someone who's awake. Yeah? So that's what it actually means. So the, the, the kind of the name that, we, that we've given to this teacher or was given to him actually is a, a pointer to, to the path, to where the path goes. And something that I love about, about the teachings that have come through in, in, through this tradition is that they both give us a context um, and a framework for deepening our understanding of, of human experience, both in the micro, both in the personal, yeah? our own personal experience, as it comes through um, our own being with the conditions, the personality, the life experience that we have both in the micro and in the macro, you know, human beings on a large scale. Yeah? So it gives us a context and a framework for that. And, and this can be really, really useful, really, really helpful. Um, but the teachings also give us practical applications. You know, it's not just the framework and the context, but also practical ways to apply those. And we've touched on them, the meditation practice that we're exploring um, the ethics, uh, attitude and intention of non-harming that I mentioned today. These are applications of um, a kind of a way of life that leads or that supports us in waking up. So what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to, when I say waking up or to wake up or awakening? What, what can that mean? And again, this can be very rich, very layered for us. Um, and for some of us, it might, you know, there might be a sense of this kind of like dramatic, you know, I'm using awakening and waking up. I like those much more than enlightenment. Yeah. It gives us that sense of some kind of dramatic, massive moment, you know, when we suddenly stop being this bundle of, um, you know, confusion and doubt and, um, bad habits and whatever it is and become blissful and peaceful and you know, so that that can be one um, understanding of, of that but um, I think for me when I think about what it means to, to wake up is to wake up to um, something we can say to our full potential yeah to our full potential within our humanity so it's not beyond our humanity it's within our humanity it includes the messiness of being human. Um, but it, this waking up is a seeing beyond um, the habits, the tendencies and the conditioned responses that so much of the time limit us in our lives. And so waking up can also be a discovery, you know, discovering and developing ways of being and relating to this messy human condition that none of us chose to be born into. Messy and beautiful. Yeah. And we didn't choose yeah, to be born. But here we are. So what do we do with this life? Yeah. And it is possible to discover and develop ways of being, ways of relating to, to this, to this experience. It doesn't need to be a different one. Ways of being that um, support us to, um, to suffer less, yeah, to suffer less and to have more well-being, more well-being. So this is not an accurate, apparently not an accurate quote, but it's, it's so useful. <laughs> I use it, um, attributed to the Buddha quite a lot. He said, I teach one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. Sounds very grim <laughs> and very, very exhilarating at the same time. So what, what this saying points to is what the, Buddha, the Dharma teachings that we're sharing here and what the Buddha taught, the interest is in that freedom from suffering. Yeah. And again, within this life, yeah, so it doesn't mean that we need to find ways to be beyond discomfort or beyond pain. 
or beyond messiness, but ways of relating. Yeah, relating to that human condition, to our human condition, in a way that reduces the suffering and increases the sense of well-being. Um, I'll just give an example. I just got an email um, a couple of days ago for someone who sat a retreat with us here um, previously. And she, you know, she's finds herself at the moment in a situation with a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties, a lot of unknowns. And she wrote that what's the most surprising for her in, in this is to, that she's finding joy. Yeah? She's finding joy. And she said, I realized that up till now in my life, the two weren't compatible. It was if there's going to be difficulty, there can't be joy. And what the practice has opened up is not necessarily the negation or the disappearing of the difficult, but the capacity to also experience joy and well-being alongside, which can sound totally like removed from our experience (laughs) as we know it, but it's possible for us. And this is a person who's, you know, walking the path just like all of us here. Yeah? Just like all of us here. And yet, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. So we can say and one thing from, from that is that what this practice kind of nourishes and nurtures in us is the kind of the widening of our horizons, you know, and this is a great place to feel that, just like what happens to our being when we sit in one of these windows or when we sit down there and we just look at that enormous view. Yeah, what happens to the being? And that is possible to cultivate internally. Yeah, so not necessarily dependent on external conditions, to have that sense of the wide horizons and the possibilities. So, this is part of what I love about these teachings. Yeah. Um, I think that they're so radical on, on, one, on the one hand, and on the other, they're so um, intuitive, and they make so much sense. Yeah. I mean, you're all here because there's something in you that knows, yeah, that knows that it's possible to live well, yeah? If, if we didn't have a tiny smidge of faith in that, at least, then we wouldn't do anything <coughs> towards deepening our understanding, yeah, or increasing our well-being or our peace or our calm or whatever it is that's brought you here. Yeah, so there's already that spark within us, something in us that knows, that resonates. So it's, it's a real, um, it's so radical <laughs> When we look at the world, yeah, we look at our habits, and yet it's so, it's so, just makes sense on some level for us. Or we wouldn't be looking for it, yeah, we wouldn't be looking for it. So I really wanted to, to touch on this kind of wide context, you know, right now, you know, pretty close to the beginning of the retreat. <laughs> Might not feel like we're close to the beginning. <laughs> this may feel like the longest day of your life. <laughs> um, but I really, I kind of want to open up that vista, yeah, open up that view of, of what is possible, which is really there in that word awakening, yeah. It's possible. And the fact that, you know, that the Buddha was a, a human being just like all of us, yeah? So that, that is possible. And the vista is there and it, it kind of holds us just like the mountains do, just like the view does. Something that we can rest into. And I also want to kind of go more into, um, into the practice today, this evening with you. Kind of a bit more reflections on, on what we've been doing and, um, and what we'll continue to be doing over the days here. 
so we've been we've talked a bit about what meditation is or a lot and i wanted to to share um one of my favorite ways of relating to meditation or speaking about meditation <laughs> which comes from the tibetan language uh, in tibetan the word for meditation is gom g o m and it literally means what it means is to become familiar with or to get to know yeah so it's not about stopping thought it's not about finding ourselves in a state of bliss yeah it's not about in feeling incredibly calm or whatever peaceful i mean those things can happen and when they do that's great yeah but when we speak about meditation it's about becoming familiar with it's about getting to know yeah so it also gives us that sense that it's not some state or some goal that we need to get to it's a process yeah it's a process it's like a verb and this is what is slowly happening or quickly happening <laughs> as we keep doing that thing you know of coming back collecting the mind gathering the mind with the object of meditation yeah that's what's happening as we've been saying we see more clearly and we get to know our experience better we get to know ourselves better and we deepen uh, our understanding of of the mind of our particular mind yeah particular habits and tendencies and triggers yeah and from there of a much wider picture yeah much wider picture of how things come together in the world how appearances come together in the world and how we all function as human beings and we also can begin to see how the habits of the mind affect our well-being yeah how the habits of the mind affect our well-being yeah and we begin to see that and we're interested in knowing it yeah This is really really important. So it's not about getting the right mind. <laughs> and it's not about getting a good mind. Yeah. And it's not about getting a meditator's mind. It's about first of all let's get to know the mind that's here. Yeah. Let's get to know this. This is what we've got to work with. Yeah, this is what we were born into. Yeah. let's get to know this this experience and hopefully as we as we get more understanding of how the habits of the mind affect our well-being this also generates interest yeah generates that ah this is what's going on oh, yeah. ah this is what restlessness feels like yeah and this is what my mind does all the time when i'm not paying attention to it you know and hopefully that that will begin to generate interest um interest in getting to know more and also interest in exploring um more ways of attending to our experience so a lot of what we're seeing is the habits the tendencies the patterns you know they're like um grooves on an old rec- on, on record players yeah you know these old records i grew up with records pretty sure most of you didn't <laughs> Yeah, but you've seen them, you know how they work. Yeah, there's these grooves and the needle goes in the grooves and that's what plays the music and sometimes that's the, that's how we operate. There's certain grooves and that the mind falls into these because that's where it's easiest to go. But what we're doing through the practice is we first of all generating the interest and the understanding that this is not the end. <laughs> of a human life you know that is just grooves and we just keep following falling into the same grooves yeah so we have some interest in how can we bring freshness how can we cultivate other ways of attending to to our experience and particularly ways that reduce suffering yeah i teach suffering and the end of suffering yeah not me him where is he He was here somewhere over there yeah the buddha suffering in the end of suffering so we start to get interested so i want to just give a very simple example that's probably uh, you've probably kind of had a taste of today of that of that possibility of how 
the interest can affect the degree of suffering. Yeah, so it's possible that through the day you've been sitting here and you felt some discomfort somewhere in the body. It's possible. <laughs> it's quite likely. Yeah, may have been a more intense pain, may have been a very mild discomfort. So either at the time or in reflection, <coughs> you probably notice that the habitual, instinctual, very quick reaction to discomfort is trying to get away from it. Did you notice that? Wanting to move. Sometimes we only notice after we've already moved. It was, oh, I've moved. Oh, why was that? Oh, my knee hurts. You know, it can be so immediate, so quick. Yeah, so that's our habit. That's our habit. Something's uncomfortable, we want to get away from it. If it's in the body and we're sitting still, we'll probably move. So that's the habit. What happens if instead of the habit, instead of the moving, yeah, we notice the discomfort, we notice that really strong, really, really strong momentum to move of our old habits. We notice all of that and then we bring in interest into the experience. So, okay, what happens if I breathe in a comfortable way right now? How does that change the experience? What happens if I bring some gentle, kind attention to the discomfort. You know, what happens then? And so we begin to bring interest, or we use the breath as a resource, yeah, to just make more space, like we were saying yesterday. Make more space to hold that experience of discomfort in something larger. And what happens then? How does that change the experience? Sometimes, the result would still be the same, yeah? Eventually we would move, yeah? So it's not about that necessarily, yeah? We would still move. But the experience itself will be more conscious, yeah? Possibly we might even enjoy it, yeah? Because interest is a source of joy, yeah? And we will learn. And one thing that we're doing is that we're not strengthening that kind of unconscious, reflective, reflexive momentum of just moving because it's uncomfortable before we've noticed what's going on. So we're opening out the vista. Does this make sense to people? Yeah. So this is how we're opening out the vista, we're opening out the space for more possibilities. Yeah. Even if it leads to doing the same thing, we've still moved. But we've been present, we've been interested, we've been attentive. And we've moved consciously, or maybe not, but later. <laughs> yeah, we've been conscious of the process. We've brought interest. So this opens up the vista and frees us. This is a type of freedom. <laughs> yeah, we're not just um, continuously um, <coughs> propelled by these habits and patterns that are so unconscious. We're actually present, actually present. So let's kind of break down the process of practice a little bit at this point. So we have an object of meditation, yeah? That can be the breath, it can be the body, it can be the contact of the feet on the, on the ground if we're doing walking meditation, yeah? So we have an object of meditation that we've been told <laughs> to use for that period of time or chosen to use. There's loads and loads of different objects of meditation, by the way. But these are the ones we've been using so far. And we bring attention to that object. Yeah. We can break down that process a little bit more. Yeah. So we can say the first part of that is that we have the intention to bring attention to the breath or the contact of the feet on the ground. So we have an intention to do that. Then the second part, the second step, is that we actually bring the attention and this can be, can manifest differently for each of us what that actually means. Yeah? Bring the attention to the object, bring the attention to the breath. 
bring the attention, attention to the contact of the feet on the ground. Yeah, that's the second part. And the third is that we notice when the attention has moved away. Yeah. So that it's not that when we notice the attention has moved away, we're not meditating. <laughs> yeah. It's actually <coughs> part of the process. We've noticed. Yeah. We've noticed. At that moment, we've woken up to what is going on. Yeah. So these three steps are all of equal value. Yeah. There's no hierarchy. It's really, and, and I feel like it doesn't matter if this is the first time you're meditating or you've been meditating for 30 years, we all need to hear it <laughs> again and again and again. You know, that moment when we notice that the mind has moved is not a failure. Yeah, it's actually a moment of being awake and it's part of the practice. And it's really interesting to see what happens then. Yeah, what happens there. I've noticed. What happens there? For most of us, what will come up at that point is some, yeah, I hope I'm accurate, many of us, I think it's most of us, from my experience, there'll be some type of harshness that comes up, yeah. Either, you know, self-judgment or doubt or just a very kind of, harsh movement of bringing the attention back to the breath. But what I would really encourage you is just to take a moment there, we've been kind of saying that, to notice what is the response when I notice that my mind has wandered and how do I bring myself back? Yeah, really, really key. So all of this is both, um, you know, we've been touching on this kind of relationship between calm and insight, yeah, two, two aspects of the practice. And they, they really are, you know, we're emphasizing calm and gathering in the first days because that's very useful. But the insight and the calm, they, they come together. Yeah, the image that's used in the tradition often is um, the two wings of a bird. <laughs> yeah, you can't just fly with one. Yeah, so they feed each other. They feed each other. So the intention, yeah, is calming, yeah, and bringing the attention, that's a calming, the gathering. And then noticing, when I notice the mind has moved away, that's an insight. Yeah, right there and then, that's an insight. And then noticing what, what is the response, what flavor it has, what energy it has, how do I bring myself back to the intention and to the breath. Yeah, there's loads of layers of insight there. And so I, I really um, I really like to emphasize this, you know, because I feel like this is where the realm of insight opens up to us. That moment when we notice we're distracted and then we take time both to notice how we attend to it and then what happens when I come back to the breath in this case. And can, what happens when I come back and breathe in a way um, that maybe feels good, <laughs> in, in, even a little bit. Yeah. How does that affect experience? How does that affect experience? And so... We'll, we'll be going into this a lot more over the days, but that real, um, maybe one thing that I want to continue with is that the, the mutuality between calm and insight, mutually dependent, yeah? You actually can't have one without the other. Yeah, so they're mutually dependent. They're not two separate things. They're not two separate things. They support each other. So again, at this point of the retreat, we're really emphasizing the calm in the practice, or the gathering, the simplicity. But the insights will be there, yeah? And that's why I'm already pointing out to that. So as we engage with our practice in this way, of noticing the process, yeah? Having a sense of the intention, bringing the attention, noticing when, we're, when the mind has wandered and bringing it back. 
what we're creating, again, what we're nourishing in ourselves is more flexibility and pliability in the mind. Does everyone know this word pliability? It's not a commonly, it's that commonly used. Um, you know plasticine, Play-Doh? Yeah. So you know that it's something that we can make all kinds of shapes out of. Yeah, so it's pliable. Yeah, it's not rigid. So the same, that's what we're developing. One of the most important aspects that we're developing in our mind through meditation is that the mind becomes more pliable. It becomes less rigid, less fixed. Yeah, and much more like something that's flowing. Yeah, that's flowing, that's got more possibilities within it. So we're increasing our choice, is another way of saying that. Yeah. Increasing, increasing the range of choices that we have. And decreasing um, the stickiness of our habits. <laughs> if you've noticed that habits of mind, um, they're sticky. You know? It's like uh, some, another image sometimes is, that's used is like they're like a hook. And we get hooked on, on them. Yeah. So we're decreasing that stickiness of the habits. So every time that we notice what's going on in the practice, every time that we notice maybe um, a harshness um, or uh, a laziness or a confusion or whatever it is that's going on, when we notice that, that brings more aliveness in the moment, more aliveness in the moment, and it also nourishes a different momentum. And equally important, my mother, bless her, listened to, to I think she's only listened to one or two of my Dharma talks in, in, uh, in my life, but um, she's a very Jewish mother. Um, so... After she listened to the first talk, she, she said to me, yeah, it was, it was very interesting, it was good, you know, you did a good job, but, you know, why do you always emphasize the negative? And um, I just did it, that's why, I, that's why I remembered it. You know, I was saying we noticed the harshness or the laziness or the, you see that? That's why my mum's a good mum. So it can equally be, you know, we notice the pleasant or the joyful or the easeful. Yeah, but we notice what is present. We notice what is present. And that both brings more aliveness into the moment and nourishes um, a momentum over the long term. Yeah, this is really also important in practice to remember. It's both, we sometimes have, can feel the fruits in the moment, but we're also nourishing things in the long term. It's also a long term endeavor. It's both. So, am I still making sense? Yeah? Are you sure? Or not? Yeah. And it's been a tiring day. It's not always easy to, to listen at, at this point. So, I'll try to do something perky once in a while to, to help the energies. So, this practice of, of, of meditation, of attending to life, um, is not a mechanical, it's not a mechanical process. Yeah. And I think often, especially when we're coming to learn something, um, we kind of, our tendency is, you know, we want to get it. Yeah. And kind of tick the list. Yeah. Okay, we'll figure it out and then we'll just press the on button and it'll happen. <laughs> so again, a human tendency. This isn't a mechanical process. Uh, we can't just um, decide to pay attention to the breath and then it'll just happen, yeah, without our involvement. It's much more um, like a work of art, yeah, it's creative, it's creative, and, and it's part of what's very beautiful about it. So it's a work of art, and, a, and an act of, of creativity. And this means that, you know, every moment is an opportunity, yeah, every moment is an opportunity. It doesn't matter what happened in the previous, you know, whatever it is, 10,000 moments. This moment, this moment is an opportunity right now 
if I bring some interest, some kindness, how does that change experience? How does that nourish me? What does that support? That's kind of a big part of what we're exploring. And so there's a, a, a beautiful game here, you know, because we have aspirations, you know, that big vista that I spoke about in the beginning. We have aspirations, we have possibilities. There's a, at least a little part of us that believes it's possible for us to live more lightly. Yeah. We have those aspirations and they're really, really important. And it's also really, really important that we engage with what is going on in this moment, yeah, in the best way we can, yeah, with interest, with gentleness, with kindness. So it's a moment-to-moment thing, and it's also a long-term thing. It's, it's both of those. It's both of those. And like I was saying before, we reap the fruits, both in the moment, sometimes in the immediacy, and in the long run. And in the long run. So it's both happening at the same time. We don't need to choose between the two. Yeah, they're both they're both there for us. So I was speaking about calm and insight as mutually dependent, mutually supportive. Remember that? Yeah. This is actually true of everything. And we'll be going into this a lot more over the days. But everything, everything is dependent on other conditions. Yeah, nothing exists on its own. Nothing exists on its own. And so part of what we're doing in the practice is also finding, developing um, attitudes that support insight and calm. Yeah? So insight and calm are mutually dependent on each other, but they're also dependent on other conditions. Yeah, on other conditions in, in, in life. And so we can cultivate attitudes that support this sense of creativity, yeah? or of interest, or of kindness in the practice of aliveness. And, you know, this brings us to another key insight that we'll be exploring, but we experienced today. Remember when Nathan rang the bell a couple of times this morning? And the first time, um, you know, you were asked just to listen to the bell in as relaxed a way as possible. And the second time, you were asked to um, just concentrate on hearing the bell. Sorry, just concentrate on the sound of the bell and let go of everything else. You remember that? Was there a difference between the two experiences? Were they the same? If they were the same, raise your hand. (laughs) If they were different, raise your hand. Okay, if you're not sure, that's fine. (laughs) Absolutely. But it's interesting to notice, yeah? It's the same thing, yeah? The bell rang, it's the same bell, it's the same person ringing the bell. So where does the difference come from? (laughs) Yeah, the mind. How we approach, yeah? How we approach that sound makes a difference to the experience. Does that make sense to people? Yeah, so this is, you know, this is really, really uh, so beautiful, <laughs> so obvious, and so hidden, <laughs> yeah, in most of our lives. Yeah, we take things to be, that's the sound of a bell, it always, always sounds the same. But no, what we're doing as we're listening to it affects the experience, affects the experience. So in the practice, we also nourish, develop, cultivate attitudes that support creativity, yeah? support um, aliveness in the practice. And I just want to um, 
touch on a, on a couple of these, or actually they're more than a couple, they're two pairs. And these two pairs from um, our good friend Robert Bayer, who's a wonderful, wonderful teacher, and you might be hearing quite a lot of him, about him over the days. Um, so there's the two pairs of attitudes to practice that is just really helpful to remember as we're sitting here or doing our walking. The first one is to remember that as we're practicing, we're cultivating sensitivity and steadiness. So we're cultivating them and we can bring them to the fore, we can bring them to the front. Yeah, That sensitivity, remember when I said gom, becoming familiar, getting to know. The sensitivity to feel, to receive what is going on in experience. Yeah? And the sensitivity to attend to it. To attend to it. So we can say the ability to feel and to attune to what is unfolding. Yeah? and to bring interest to it. So again, notice that I'm distracted. That's a sensitivity I've noticed. And what does that feel like? Yeah. And what happens when I come back with gentleness to the breathing? What happens when I come back with impatience to the breathing? And so that's the sensitivity. The steadiness is um, remembering that we're staying, that this is an unfolding process. Yeah, so we, we stay steady and we don't, as one of our teachers used to say, we don't need to freak out. <laughs> yeah, we have such a tendency to freak out as human beings. You know, there's pain in the body, there's restlessness in the mind. I'm not getting this. You know, and it's like, ah, this is horrible. <laughs> I'll never get it. You know, we freak out, we just do it. And the steadiness kind of is like a ground that supports us. Nah, it's just this in this moment. Right now there's discomfort. Right now there's restlessness. Can I just stay steady with, it, with the process? So sensitivity and steadiness. Yeah, remembering them, coming back to them. The other pair is two Ps. Patience and playfulness. Yeah, patience and playfulness. The patience, again, the remembering that this is an ongoing process and that as we're doing it, we're cultivating patience. Yeah, and that patience is also a support for us. So in this moment, it might be unpleasant. But can I just stay steady with it and can I keep the patience going? And can I not tighten around specific expectations that I might have? Yeah, or ideas that I might have, but just stay open. Yeah, stay open to see what unfolds. And the playfulness, yeah, creativity, joyfulness, experimentation, yeah, the opposite of mechanical. Yeah, it's not a mechanical process. And if we can kind of reconnect and nourish playfulness within us, that's a real resource for us. It doesn't need to be serious. <laughs> Yeah. It's not always easy, but it doesn't need to feel like a weight. Yeah, we can we can play with it. We can play with it. And that's you know, if you look at, at children, that's the best way to learn. Yeah, is through play. It's through something that's to some degree enjoyable or nourishing. Yeah, it won't always be fun, but to some degree on some level it's nourishing. And all, all of these four, they balance each other out. I hope that's, that's kind of, you can see that. Like the playfulness with the patience, kind of the long view with the immediate aliveness. Balance each other out. So we can play with this a little bit and kind of think, for example, you know, some experience that happened today, yeah, in, in the meditation, in the practice, or through the day, if... Um, how would that have changed if I had applied, or if I could apply one of these? You know, if I could bring playfulness in, how would that affect that moment? If I could remember patience, yeah, or sensitivity, how would that affect it? 
something we can do also in, in reflection back. So I knew this was going to be a long talk and now I'm in the place where I need to chop some of it out. <laughs> so we'll see what we go, how we go. So our perception, again I've said it, but this is really, really important. Our perception of experience is conditioned. Yeah? And it's affected by many, many different causes, including the state of our mind and the attitude and the approach that we bring to the moment and to the practice. And, um, and this is, um, so it's not about making things more serious, <laughs> it's actually about opening up the vista even more, because it actually <coughs> offers us possibility. Yeah? It means that experience um, is more or is less fixed than we think it is. Yeah? It's less fixed than we think it is. It has more potential to, um, to be affected. And again, we'll be touching on this a lot over the days. So, through the, through the practice, through the days here, we bring together aspiration, that long-term view of what really moves us, yeah? what we really wish for ourselves or what we really wish for the world. Yeah, we bring together aspiration, we bring together intention, yeah, on a shorter time scale, and attention, that magical capacity that we have, I spoke of earlier today, as, a hum- as human beings, to pay attention and to, to some degree, choose where we pay attention, where we bring our attention. And so we bring all those together to our experience as it unfolds. And we cultivate attitudes that are supportive to that, yeah, like playfulness, like patience, like calm and insight, yeah. We nourish that, we cultivate that, we support that. And as we do that, wisdom grows, yeah. As we do that, wisdom grows in us. Understanding deepens. It's a natural unfolding. And as wisdom grows, well-being grows. Yeah, joy grows. Freedom from suffering grows. Yeah, it's all a natural unfolding. And it's a cycle that keeps nourishing itself. Yeah, it keeps nourishing itself. Sorry, I have one question. Is it always so that if wisdom grows, well-being grows? Mm. Or can it be... Also the other way around? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So none of this is linear. <laughs> it's a really good point to see. Like everything is, uh, things are arising dependent on each other a lot of the time. So it's not linear. Yeah. And a lot of wisdom can come when there's a sense of deep well-being. So a a cycle that keeps nourishing and deepening itself. And a resource, yeah, for ourselves and for the world that we live in. And I just want to end with um, a little bit more about our intention as we practice. When the Buddha was asked why he chose to teach... And initially, after um, he discovered what he discovered about the human condition, he felt it was too complex um, for others to understand. It was kind of, it felt like an impossible task. And so he, you know, really decided not to do anything about it and just to stay with, um, with his, with the wisdom that he had uncovered and to support other people in other ways. Um, but he changed his mind, <laughs> and he decided to teach. 
And when he was asked, and this question was asked of him many, many times over the 40 years he was teaching, uh, why he taught, why he chose to teach others, why he chose to share the Dharma, he would always say, for the benefit and the welfare of all beings. Yeah. So there's that deep wish of being of benefit, a deep wish of um, attending to the welfare of others. And I want to bring that in at the end of the talk today because whether we're aware of it or not, this is also part of our intention here. <laughs> yeah, And it's sometimes really, um, really beautiful and really helpful to acknowledge that. Yeah, it can be a real support for us. And whether we're aware it's our intention or not, it's certainly going to be the effect. Yeah, as we do this work with ourselves, as we go on this journey within ourselves, we're not separate from anything else either. <laughs> so inevitably, that will have a, a, a nourishing, a wholesome effect on the world around us. So we can sometimes, and certainly for me in my practice, we can use this as a resource. So sometimes when things are difficult um, or unclear or boring, <laughs> yeah, just, just reflecting on that. You know, this is something of value, not just for myself. Not just for myself. And can I connect to that as a resource to give me a little bit more juice in the batteries? Um, and to feel the beauty, and sometimes it's, um, sometimes we feel not good enough for that aspiration. Yeah, it feels awkward and like as if I don't deserve, you know, I don't deserve to have that aspiration even. Yeah, so to see if we can let it in, we can let it into our hearts and our beings, because it, it is there already. <laughs> Yeah, and it's acknowledging that and the power that, that it can have on our, on our practice, on our lives, and on the lives of others. So let's just have a, a few moments of, of silence together to, to close. <clears throat> 